welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master, Season 2, Episode 2 of Season 2. We just wrapped things up with our tribute to Ennio Morricone, which maybe you listened to last week, but we just wrapped it up three minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Doubleheader for us. You're bending time for me, man. Yeah, that's how they do it. Movie magic, baby. Um, So, yeah, we're here in my garage. Uh, being appropriately distanced for the uh, the COVID pandemic. That's right. Um, and it, we're sweating it out in here. It's maybe it's below ninety degrees at this point. No sweating way. the oldies. No way. <laughs> finally, is the lawnmower still going? I think I think Jed finally stopped mowing his lawn. Why, why are you Jed mowing your lawn at nine thirty p.m., Jed? Come on. <laughs> Anyone else going to pull in the driveway or leave the driveway? Well, someone's got to come back oh, eventually. Snap. Yeah. Oh, snap. It'll happen. Hopefully it's during a song. So, uh, let's uh, let's read some of our fan mail. Hmm. We have fan mail? Slash criticism. <laughs> uh, Most, uh, mostly wait. on the criticism side. Oh, wait. Man. All right. So, this comes from uh, listener H.T., H. Tuttle. <laughs> H. Tuttle. Oh, you know, you know oh, H. Tuttle? I know oh, H. T. Hey, so he's, he's, he's been listening to... Iron sharpens iron, right? Or was that what it's called? I don't know. <laughs> uh, this is his, his response to our best of the 2010s, which he, he felt passionately about. Um, I, I won't read the, the whole thing. He uh, Is it because you don't want to read the swears on air? Some research. <laughs> I'm just teasing. H. Tuttle, I'm just teasing. He didn't swear. He's He's a very upstanding young man. I'm the one that says the curses. Everybody knows that. So he he gave his own uh, top ten list, which we we can post on the website. Um, He says, I feel like hip-hop was a bit overlooked in this decade on the podcast. This is the (laughs) decade that hip-hop blew up. It became the most listened to genre in America by the end of 2017. Hip hop dominated the charts for most of the decade, with Drake taking the lead. An entire subgenre within hip hop was created too, with Future and Migos. Is that how you say it? Migos, yeah. yeah. Uh, leading mumble rap. On the podcast, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West, No Name, and A Tribe Called Quest were all picked, but I think there should have been a few more hip hop artists. Yeah, I, I agree I, or well, disagree. Jason had a lot of hip hop. You, you retorted. You had that comeback for Tuttle for each other that you you did. I agree in the sense that, and we've talked about how we kind of went away from doing what's the best representative of of the music that broke through. We kind of went into our own deep cuts, you know, in ter- in terms of the probably the two thousands and the two thousand tens, where we weren't really saying what's on the charts. Mm-hmm. But I'd say if we if our p- thirty picks or however many there were were more representative of what was on the charts, we would have had Drake on there. We would have had at least some of the mumble rap stuff we would have had definitely some odd future or frank ocean that we mentioned he mentioned in his critique as well and i think jace for me frank ocean was right on there and if we had done this i was listening to him a ton in the first half of that decade and less in the second half even though he still came out with some good stuff so i think henry tuttle makes some great points um glad he's Uh-oh, glad you listening revealed, henry. just revealed it h tuttle by and and, and that's a long way henry to say T. h H, yeah. Henry, Henry Short for H. Um, yeah, it may be an indication also of our age. There, you know, rock and, and rap, there's a there's a rebellious piece to, to music that is typically trying to subvert the older generation's version of music and 
kind of do the thing that that separates this current generation from from what went before and that's part of why it it tends to irritate um the older generations and it even i I don't know that people i think some people were surprised when that started to even happen in hip-hop where younger versions of hip-hop actually started to actively like rebel against the traditional form of hip-hop because hip-hop was such this like close-knit and traditional family and um, mumble rap definitely was a divisive element of hip hop that a lot of traditionalists didn't love. I think it was very representative of younger culture. Like my son, my 17 year old absolutely loves a a lot of mumble rap that, that I still struggle with. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's probably in part a blind spot or a a thing we left off just off just because generationally it's, I think we're a little bit more callous to less open to it. And, and it's probably an indication that we need to be listening to our, uh, our young friends a little bit more. And H Tuttle, I would freaking love for you to make us a playlist and I will commit to listen to it because I yeah. need to do a better job of embracing the, uh, the young stuff. I, I feel like hip hop was a dominant genre a lot earlier than the 2010s though. It like was, I think it was 90s, growing. 90s. It was there like, yeah. And 2000s, but it wasn't on the, like it, it, in it, the 2010s, it became the mainstream music. Correct. In like the 90s, pop, it wasn't mainstream. Like it was, it was the before that? Not no. like it was then. In the 2000s, pop became a variation of hip-hop almost, whereas before, well, I don't think it was like that. I think hip-hop would occasionally come in, like Mariah Carey might have like a, a hip-hop verse in one of her songs, but it's still unapologetically pop. But in the 2000s, I feel like it transitioned to where hip-hop was the core and and then pop would like kind of attach itself yeah. to hip hop core curious. elements. Henry says by 2017, H. yeah, H says that by 2017 <laughs> it was the most listened to genre. So I wonder where he's getting we this. Might there must be a statistic that he's, we might need to check. No, his I trust I trust H Tuttle, I trust your yeah. sources. He, he probably got it from the internet, so yeah. it's probably fine. So specifically he re- references Frank Ocean, his top pick for the decade. Mm-hmm. And, and Frank a, Ocean's... Why, an, why did you guys not include him he, as opposed to... He was a last-minute... What's the name yeah. of the song? Pyramids was a last-minute oh, cut. Pyramids, that was but the too. interesting thing about that song, it's not even a traditional hip-hop song. It's like, like, it's a not a... Minute, it's not a rap yeah. song. He's more R&B, yeah. soul, soul but he's But he's part of this hip-hop family. Um, he, belong, he belongs... If you're referencing the 2010s, he absolutely belongs mm-hmm. on there. It was a last-minute omission, and it was absolutely personal preference. Yeah. I really like the song. I think it belonged on there. It's on my honorable mention, but... Yep. I could have... Uh, but it's yeah. interesting, like, though, I, I would actually be curious to to like sit down kind of how we broke down funk and break down like what defines hip hop because a lot of Frank Ocean is not traditional hip hop. It would be an interesting discussion to do that same exercise. Like, is this hip hop? What makes this hip hop in the, in the world of Frank Ocean at Mm -hmm. least. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, that's probably the, one of the highest regrets I have in terms of missing someone from my a top 10 of any of the decades we did was miss not picking Frank Ocean. And one of it is there's not one song that I love above the others. That was, that was part of it. Um, I like a lot of his songs. Uh, let me just read another excerpt from this. Cause he makes some good points. Um, his, uh, he says his follow up 2016 blonde is one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, I love blonde because of the way ocean is able to blend genres 
It's often labeled as a pop album, but it clearly has influence from hip-hop, R&B, indie rock, among other genres. The album also draws inspiration from many wonderful artists, such as The Beatles, The Beach Boys, Elliot Smith, Stevie Wonder, and many more. I would point to the song White Ferrari as a track where inspiration from other artists can clearly be seen. Let's listen to a bit of it, shall we? White Ferrari. Let's pull it up. Tuttle, you know your stuff. Keep, uh, keep being passionate and keep challenging grown-ups that think they know a lot about music because your, uh, your opinion is good and you probably deserve a podcast. <laughs> Bad luck to talk on these rides Mine on the road Your dilated eyes Watch the clouds float White Ferrari had a good time 16 How was I supposed and to know, and you know anything? I let you out At Central I didn't care To state the plane Kept my mouth closed We're both so Familiar Ferrari. Maybe skip ahead to see. I'm not familiar with this one, but I imagine that it goes some different places. I already like what it's doing here with the yeah. vocals. Yeah, Ocean's a genius. Uh, yeah, here's one I know I, I need to get more into. Well, regarded, he's really good. I like what I T- Tuttle's absolutely right. He belongs. He belongs on the uh, the golden record for the 2010s. We missed yeah. it, but I, I don't regret my picks. But we definitely right. missed it. That's where sometimes when we do this, it's like okay, if everyone's going to do Kendrick Lamar, I'm not going to do it. But he belongs. But I know Jason's going to do it, so I'll do Frank Ocean just in case. No, you know, I didn't do that this time. And there were some other people I added that I've listened to more than Freak Ocean in the last five years. Like, like say, Brandy Carlisle. I didn't listen to her at all until two and a half years ago. And I added her on. Um, but yeah, Frank Ocean, great, great artist. And when, when I was talking with, uh, with HT about this subject, I, I did make the comment that, you know, when I was in high school, there weren't any of my friend's dads that I... <laughs> that I respected their opinion more than mine. <laughs> yeah, you know, good point. Yeah, it is a good point, especially when it came to music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Uh, so, you made the point before, Jason, about like mum, your your son likes mumble rap. You, you know, there's something about you know if you're watching, if you go onto YouTube and you see some, you know, any of the classic hip hop heads who are like talking about the '90s stuff, they're like, oh, this mumble rap sucks, and people, we got to go back to the. It's kind of like that thing of, you know, you just, it's like you don't hear the music the same as the young generation hears it. You hear, why are they singing like that? Why don't they do it like the old days when the beat was like this? So it's hard for, for sometimes for us dads or grown folks sometimes to really hear hear the freshness in the new well, stuff. Well, it's funny, and I think it's a just, it's how, like, you become calcified as you get older. Like, when you're young, you get into music for for a lot of people especially like rock and hip hop almost as a way to rebel and not have to follow the rules and mm-hmm. then you become part of this like cohort or this generation that lines up with how music worked 
yeah. when you did it during your sweet spot What's and suddenly suddenly you versus... decide that that's the rules like yeah. these are the rules this is what hip hop is because this is how it was when I did it yeah. even though you probably got into it to not follow the rules and to break the rules and now a new generation comes yeah. along and says we don't want to follow those rules we want to create our own rules and the the calcification is kicked in and you're going well, I don't like this because it's yeah. not the way I did it. And so it's it's hard. I think that's that's one of the reasons I still like passionately want like and enjoy talking about music because it's it's probably part of a midlife crisis that's been ongoing for some time, <laughs> but it, like I'm hoping it's preventing at least a little bit you're of the calcification. I don't want your, your next step is to embrace pop i'm i'm serious because it <laughs> is rebellious it's rebellious you oh can yeah rebel the rebellious nature of pop you can the rebellious nature of pop we'll go with Heim adult is contemporary so rebellious Heim, next, when i think next of, month jason's gonna show up you're gonna, wearing no, an abba t-shirt listen, when i think of rebellious youth culture of all aging, i can picture is Heim. your fear of aging is keeping you from embracing <laughs> like it's the ultimate oh, rebellion to embrace the the pristine <laughs> pop because you hate it so much that you're rebelling against your your Dad angsty court. self. Get the heck yeah. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Adult hey, contemporary. Anything else? Right. Anything soon. else you want to add on the email front? No. Cue the credits. No, thanks for good. thanks for emailing us H Tuttle. We love hearing from our fans. Um, hopefully you guys will you all our will fans. enjoy. I don't know if they're plural. fans. They yeah. might be just like friends. Super friends. We love. We love. Just spend three okay, hours listening to this. We love anybody that's willing to take the time to listen to what we had to say and uh, and respond back and uh, and so thank you we we welcome it all. All right, this episode uh, we want, we're kind of piggybacking off off last episode, and we're going to talk more about our favorite soundtracks, not just any soundtrack. Favorite original score instrumental soundtrack. Yeah, we had a little bit of a text debate earlier yeah. today yeah. because right. somebody didn't clarify and they said <laughs> soundtrack. Somebody did say that. <laughs> somebody said original Some soundtrack and Steve, and Steve thought, made. oh, you mean Pretty in Pink? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. But wow. we, will, we will do Pretty in Pink-esque stuff on another episode. Original score. I know well, soundtrack is little. It's a. It can be kind of a misleading umbrella term. Like I, I think. I guess I. I've come to associate soundtrack with, like the list of popular songs that are in a film, whereas original score or the word score sometimes is okay. the instrument. But then it still gets gray because but, you have people that might record a popular song as an original specifically for a movie. So mm-hmm. well, what's the difference between that and a score do. other well, than it has lyrics? A, well, it's got there, its own Academy Award. There's some its prayer. own joke of an Academy Award. <laughs> what, Best happens, song? Yeah. what happens in Magnolia when everybody sings a song? That, right. That's where okay, wait, a pimp's wait, gotta live has save a chance of winning an Oscar. <laughs> Is that the song? Later. What? What's the song? There's some... <laughs> Can't remember the movie that it won for. Something about oh, hard to be a pimp, isn't that the oh the uh, hustle and flow? Yeah, hustle and flow. I remember that Academy Award winning film, hustle and flow. <laughs> it's hard to be a pimp. <laughs> That's their chance to oh. that in makeup category. You can sometimes squeeze an Oscar, you can squeeze something in there. For a, well, we should note too. We did the Ennio Marconi episode, so we're we're not choosing. Any of his scores, because if if he was on here, we might all have one of his. Yeah, it was one more random rule that got thrown in at the end. (laughs) We covered him enough in the last episode. I think we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, 
Tune, tune in and find out. We're going to listen to some of the same tracks we just listened to in the last episode. Any films with people whose names start with B, of course, are out. That wasn't that funny. Okay, go on. go on. Brandon. I thought you were serious. Okay. What if their what? name is no. B, like B. Arthur? Oh, yeah. B. Well, Arthur's that's, that's original fine. composition for the B movie, Jerry Seinfeld's B right. movie, is really good. All right, do we have any awards to give out in this episode? We we didn't talk we didn't about this beforehand. That. No, not currently. No. The, all that we've planned for is that we're each going to share our top three f- soundtracks. Yeah, not Sa- soundtracks. Scores, original scores. Original scores. Our top three sound. original it, scores. Soundtrack works. I think I, I'm. Uh, I screwed. But we're going to guys. Gonna do I'm soundtrack. Sorry. La- we're going to do another episode later. Yeah. Best soundtrack. <laughs> well, I think we're going to do two more episodes. Okay. One where it's like musicals. Like we song, skip that. <laughs> Come on, yeah, I'm super qualified for that. that. I'm ready to do that's it. That's right why now. we got to do it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You picked the song from The Sound of Music in one of yeah, our that even before. made it in my top ten of a decade. Yeah. So that would be stuff like Xanadu, that has songs with vocals, but right. written so for good. the film. So and then good. we can do another one of like compilation. Nostalgia. Yeah. They aren't all nostalgia. Don't give but, any you know. away. So we'll see, and maybe. You know, should we have just a production meeting right now and just air it? For, <laughs> that's what we're doing, basically. <laughs> we might not want to do all of these in this season unless we want to just say this is the film music season. No, I don't want we'll to do that. Yeah, it's, we can we can have a three episode we can spr- season we can spread it out and then jump to season three. Well, let, let's jump right in and start doing this because we want yeah. to get out be- before two a.m. Yeah, for we've Jason. We've got has a to chance. Be home by no, two fifteen. <laughs> I, I'm not even expected until 2 a.m. So that's yeah. That's <laughs> Before we 2. So should we should we see? Does anyone have anything pre 1960s or even pre 1970s? Jeez. Oh, we're know. going chronological on it. That's no, one way to do let's it. Let's just go like if you chose your top three. Let's start with your number three. Number three to number two to number one. Yeah. Okay. Oh snap. Yeah. So who who wants to go first with their number three? Mm. Jason, Steve's pointing at you. I'm pointing mm. at you too. I will go first. Okay, there we go. That'll work. I will go first. Uh, I'm going to go with the obvious choice here. Uh, James Horner, Titanic. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Like the I don't think choice. I need to say so anything obvious. about that. None of us even had it. Was yeah. it? What? How close was it to breaking your top three, Jordan? It wasn't on my radar. Huh. <laughs> yeah, me either. Huh. But I'm I'm ready What's to listen. I'm ready to listen and learn. I've got three pages of notes. Was I did that, not write the word Titanic I, once. I, I listened. Yeah. I heard that Celine Dion song when I was on my mission about <laughs> five million times. Yeah, same. In, every time I was in the grocery store. Yep. Is this yeah. is this one of those jokes where he cues up Hoobastank and then <laughs> he saves that for me? He does that. For <laughs> he he yeah. waits like it real personal, yeah. real serious. But instead, he queued up James Horner. I, no, this is. For I real. already okay. know what Jason's number two pick is. I'll, I'll tell you that much. That's it's already a good one. got a queued up. I want to no. hear James Horner. No, Horner. Titanic is not is not my in my top three. Okay, uh, okay. I am, that was a good one. You got See? us there. That was, I am going with uh, Michael Giacchino. Huh. You guys know him? Okay. No. Oh yeah, of course. You know him. Who, of course. Which films? I don't know his name. Of course. Oh. Incredibles. That's the one I'm choosing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's Lost? he's okay. a fairly a fairly new composer. Uh, well, I guess it's been like two decades now. He got started in the video game business, doing doing soundtracks to the video games, uh, the Medal of Honor series, and a few of the Call of Duty ones, and 
bunch of other stuff. Uh, and then J.J. Abrams somehow became aware of him based on his, his video game work. And so uh, Abrams hired him to do the soundtrack for Alias. And then after that for Lost. That's the first time I remember seeing his name, which was often, you know, every episode of Lost. There it is. Right. Michael Giacchino. And he uh, would do incorporate for some of the percussion elements uh, pieces of airplane fuselage in that soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the first uh, feature film that he was hired to do was for The Incredibles. Uh, Brad Bird, it was his first first film that he directed for Pixar. All the other Pixar films had used either Thomas or Randy Newman as their composer. Um, but Brad Bird wanted something a little different. Uh, I heard that he originally went to John Barry, who did the James Bond themes, and wanted him to do it. And John Barry declined, saying he didn't want to revisit that that era. Didn't want to repeat himself. So he went with Michael Giacchino, and now he's become a regular. He's I don't know if he's done every Pixar movie since then. Probably not everyone, but a lot but of a them. A lot of them, huh? Did Ratatouille, did okay. Coco, did... Uh, Coco was Inside great. Out. I like the, the music. And he's Coco done a ton of really other good. stuff since then, too. Yeah. Um, did uh, a couple of the Star Wars ones. Star Trek. I think he's done everything that J.J. Abrams has done. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so let's, uh, let's play some stuff from The Incredibles. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play two, two short clips from The Incredibles because The Glory Days, the opening theme, is so classic. He just nails the vibe right away. So that song just sets the stage so so well for that film. Like I remember sitting in the theater, that those opening yeah. credits come up. I'm like, this is going to be that dynamite. Was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, but it keeps going throughout the whole film. I, I should clarify, when I was choosing these songs, or these, uh, yeah, whatever albums, I, I'm treating them as complete soundtracks. So while there are individual songs out there that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose ones to share here that I listen to a lot myself and that I listen to as a whole soundtrack, as an album. Um, So for that reason, you're not going to, at least from, well, maybe I don't need to give it away. But um, even though there are more more obvious famous soundtracks out there, uh, I chose the ones that I... I like to listen to, and this one I like the whole thing. Like every every song straight through, there's a ton of character in it, ton of variety, Um, and one of my standout tracks here is "Life's Incredible Again," when he's, uh, I think this is during during the scene where he's pretending like he still has a job, Mm -hmm. Um, but really he's working out as Mister Incredible. That's right.
there's there's so much to like about about his stuff, and I think he made a, a huge splash with with this. This is this being his first you know feature film soundtrack. So I kind of put him kind of in the in the space of where Danny Elfman was in the eighties. I hear the nineties. Like, in that last clip, I hear the Ratatouille in there too. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can hear his style, like the kind of loungy. Not that all his stuff is like that, but there's like there's some of that in Ratatouille as well that sounds yeah. like oh this is the same composer and it is I did not know that yeah. very cool so there we go Michael Giacchino Good pick. The Incredibles all right so are we going to be able to do we're going to be able to list honorable mention right we'll, we'll <laughs> list them we'll yeah. list them who's up Steve Jason number three well. uh I'll jump in and say that this was hard for me, and I, I kind of had two that came to mind, and then couldn't figure out a third. And and uh, but I I think the what, what I settled on for my third was uh, John Barry, James mm. Bond soundtracks, oh. mm. uh-huh. and uh, the thing that was kind of in- interesting is that he didn't write the theme. Right, he's not credited with writing the theme. This guy Monty Norman wrote. The theme, Interesting. but I think the original the Doctor No, you know, the first Bond movie, they weren't happy with his version of it, and so they brought John Barry in, and so he, I mean, he I think, yeah, he, I think, essentially is responsible for what we know as the theme, you know, with the guitar and the mm-hmm. the big brass fanfare and everything. Uh, he he orchestrated it, performed the original with his band, and then went on to score all the films. And so I don't know. I don't know what that does for it, given that he didn't officially write that theme. But I think he probably made it into the thing that we associate with it. And then he's the one that takes it and weaves it into all the movies. And you know, he's he's it's it's a similar vibe to our uh, guest of honor last last time, uh, Ennio Morricone. Right? I mean, it's that kind of hybrid in, in the '60s, that hybrid orchestra where you're bringing in the traditional orchestra that's predominated in film scoring but then bringing in electric guitar bass drum set other more popular elements into this kind of hybrid thing um and i'm thinking uh i'm thinking goldfinger maybe maybe just some and and this is where yeah i mean jason's point that we started with you know are are we talking about songs or instrumental film scores well we're supposed to be talking about film scores obviously the theme song for every Bond film is kind of this quintessential thing that's made specifically for the film, yeah. and is, but it's kind of its own. So you cheated. Well, that's all right. This is well, a classic. But, this is a Jordan but, move. No, but, yeah, but, I right. would, but I'd be really happy not, you know, don't pick the theme song. Pick, pick something else. From from Goldfinger? From, from Goldfinger, yeah. Pick, pick. Don't, did, don't, don't did pick he the, even write the theme song? Because I don't, don't, uh, they, don't they bring someone else in to write those theme songs typically in terms of the of that film actually maybe he did uh, uh i'm stumbling here no i think i think he did write that it's you know shirley bassey she sings, sings it, it but he wrote it but um yeah he he wrote that song okay. uh the music that is uh and not but not the lyrics but yeah he wrote And this is 64, right? So yeah. it's that same era. It's right and even a little before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 64 was the same. 
Same year. He was already doing stuff, but it was the same year as Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, and I mean, and he started with this sound in like 62, was Mm -hmm. Dr. Noah, early 60s. So this type of film score is obviously in the air and permeating everything. But this is kind of the British version of of the Ennio Morricone uh, blended orchestra thing. But I think, I don't know, if you want to pick like one other just obscure track, I don't know if it says like, you know... The scene in the train. Or, I'm, I'm, I'm trying having to a hard time finding uh, oh. like an album for this. Oh, it's I'm sh- I think. Yeah. Well, part of the reason I picked this is because it's one of the. You know, I, I inherited oh, a bunch of. Go. Here we I go. inherited a bunch of vinyl from my parents at a certain point, and it happened to include this soundtrack. So nice. it was how fun, about fun odd listen. jobs pressing engagement? Yes, Ooh, let's sounds, do it. Let's like do that. it. Like yeah. the sound of that. Sounds a lot like James Bond's pressing engagement. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. I love that trumpet. Yeah. And that's kind of a fun mix of the Goldfinger theme with the James Bond. Yeah. Anyway. And this is direct lineage where the Incredibles stuff came from. Yeah. Right. So it's a good, 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 good job, guys. Way there. to plan that. Yeah. yeah. About that. <laughs> Seamless. Seamless. All right. Jason, what do you got? All right. Um, we're going to go 1970s black exploitation film. <laughs> the first, uh, the first movie that gave uh, Mr. Isaac Hayes a leading mm-hmm. role. You're assuming that it's. Oh. One that it's not going to be. You're assuming that it's Shaft. I did not pick Shaft. I was assuming that. Um, mm-hmm. He his first starring role Superfly? was in no. That's Curtis Mayfield. His first oh, yeah. starring role was uh, in a movie called Three Tough Guys, um, kind of a classic black exploitation film. And Isaac Hayes was he's a way better uh, writer and composer than he gets credit for. He liked to do stuff with strings early on. He was one of the main session guys and composers for Stax records. If you look at like an old Sam and Dave record, most of their stuff that they were doing like soul man and hold on, I'm coming. That's written by Isaac Hayes. He Mm. was, he was really, really prolific. And so he starred in this film. Um, It's not a good movie, but um, for a lot of reasons, but the soundtrack is incredible. So I did what Brandon did. I didn't, there's like kind of your classic, you know, Mount Rushmore soundtracks that everybody kind of accepts as just really transcendent. I picked the stuff that I listen to still, the stuff that's in my rotation. And this is just like classic 70s funk. It's got a little bit more of an orchestra, uh, orchestral, whatever you say it, nature to it. But Isaac Hayes, um, <laughs> three tough guys. The first one I'm going to have you play is a classic called Hung Up on My Baby. The Ghetto Boys sampled it, um, and it's so good. Go ahead and fire that up.
And so this is that's like kind of the feel of the soundtrack the whole way through. He wrote the soundtrack, he starred in it. It's kind of his thing. Wasn't a great movie, never became much, but, but the soundtrack um, has, I think, a cool place. So the other song I'm going to have you play, all-time great song title, and it's from a kind of a humorous scene in the movie, but it's just, it's a really good song. I hope it's Bunzo Plenty. It is absolutely <laughs> Bunzo Plenty. <laughs> Oh my goodness. kill it um that's so exactly the kind of stuff we need more soundtracks like exactly yeah, it's a lot awesome. more subtle than a john williams or a john barry but um isaac hayes could freaking write a great song and yeah. this soundtrack um i think it's as good as the shaft soundtrack uh i think it's as good as almost as good as the the superfly soundtrack it's it's right up there just a great great listen it's super fun awesome i hadn't i hadn't heard either of those but i'd heard the ghetto boys song yeah. which is a great Probably their most popular yeah. famous song with that with that sample. Excellent. All right, I'm gonna go. I'll go. This is this one's one of the big ones. I think um, it won it won the Academy Award for best score of the year that it came out. Um, and and it's one that is is on my own personal Rushmore as well. It's Vangelis, the Greek composer, <laughs> whatever his name is. I don't know. I like he's got the one one the Blade Runner person soundtrack? name. Not Blade Runner, Chariots of Fire, 1981. Ah. So I want, yeah. So anyway, this is. I mean, the the movie is set in when 19. It's early, like this is the other one that I associate with people who don't normally buy soundtracks. Yeah. So this, this is funny. Least, this was at least older one, people. This was another one. My mom grandparents so would have. My this mom one. was my mom was a classically trained piano player, and then she taught piano lessons my whole life growing up, and she, we I would get introduced to soundtracks because she'd hear a song she liked and then she would go to Burt Murdoch music and buy the music to it and bring it home and I would see the movie cover she didn't even know it was a movie she just knew she liked the song and this was like the theme to Chariots of Fire yeah as long as far back as I can remember was sitting on the piano and she would yeah. sit down and play it. Well, this a lot of it's electronic. I mean, a lot of it's. I wonder kind of, if uh, the current, I don't know, teenage generation right now is as oh, familiar with this song as we were. I, I, this was everywhere. We growing. showed it to this our, was we watched almost, it with our kids last year. And it's like this and Axel F from, was, uh, yeah. Yeah, from Beverly Hills yeah. Cop. Was this the <laughs> one that they played in that Saturday Night Live bit that John Belushi was, he was like an out of shape athlete. I don't know. It was, he was like running really slow. Oh, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure it was. It's a very... <laughs> the donuts commercial? <laughs> little I think it might have been. <laughs> if it wasn't, it should have been. Yeah. I could see it. Okay, Evangelist, Chariots of Fire.
chorus. Yeah. So go ahead and bring it down. I mean, this is very. All of us heard this a lot growing yeah. up. Kids nowadays. Do you think maybe not as much? Chariots Fire won Best Picture because of this song. I, it's a good chance because it's a. It's it had to have helped. It had to have helped. It, ha- it was a yeah. huge part of the movie. You think of the film. It, it's an odd film to have won. Like I think it's cool that it did, but like really low budget. Like, the scenes that have no these, famous actors. These songs. There's a couple of them that have these songs that are so like powerful and yeah. moving. When you see this, it's like super slow mo of Eric Little falling down and he's like out of the race basically and you see his face as he gets it and the, like the super slow-mo with his yeah. music you're just sitting there like <laughs> you know we showed it to our kids you know movies now a lot slower the first 30 minutes they're like what when is this movie gonna start <laughs> by the end of the movie they're like Wait, tears Dad, streaming is, down their faces is this whole movie about a guy not want to race on sunday is this whole movie yeah, about and then, that? And then we're like, just keep watching. <laughs> By the end of the film, they were in throw. It's all about a guy trying to keep the Sabbath your kids, dad. Your kids are so much better than mine. Mine would have freaking walked out of the room. Bye-bye. You got to run a tighter ship, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Get him in order. You think? No, so let's hear, let's hear Abraham's theme. So there's two main characters, Eric and Abraham, and they have theme, different themes. Abraham okay. is the, the Jewish uh, runner who's always kind of got a chip on his shoulder and goes through a lot of uh, pain and suffering in the movie. But Abraham's theme is a really good one. like a billy cobham jazz feel (laughs) i know it really is interesting to think of the pairing of the the synth heavy yeah soundtrack with a period film and i didn't even well as a kid it it, it didn't didn't even occur to me you know and just the you know i got caught up in the you know rooting for the runners and everything as a kid you're like finally a film with cool music yeah yeah <laughs> right, synth was kind of cutting edge and 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 cool and in, and then you put it with the with the period stuff at the time. This this yeah. this scene is after the character has lost a race that he's been just he's just like a training so hard and he's so good, and then he loses, and he's just so hard on himself. And you feel like this, you can feel the melancholy and the sadness in this, and it's it's very powerful. Very good, very cool. good uh, soundtrack. I, I've never listened to anything besides just the main theme of yeah. of that movie. Eric's theme is very good too. I, we don't have to go there, but um, I bet you would recognize it if you heard thirty seconds of it. So we'll I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna take your word. Save for that, that for another day. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's my number three. Should we go on to your number two, Brandon? Okay, let's do it. Uh, number two. Um, 
Speaking of video game music with uh, uh, Michael Giacchino, I'm going with the video game soundtrack for this one. Uh-oh. I knew yeah. it was going to be wow. you. you. Did you? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm deep into this stuff, guys. <laughs> You're a gamer. I'm going with Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is actually a good soundtrack. I've never played Final Fantasy VII. Um, no, this is uh, from a film called... Super Mario? Not a film. Oh. A, Zelda? A game called Sword and Sorcery. Hmm. A little independent game that I think for was made like for the a- iPhone. Atari and, 64. And the iPad. Um, a little more recent than that. Composer, his name is Jim Guthrie. Canadian guy. You'd like him, George. Hmm. Um <laughs> So so check it out. The, this is one where I uh, I bought the game because of the soundtrack. I heard the soundtrack first. I think it was promoted somehow on Bandcamp. And so I listened to it. I'm like, this is awesome. Uh, I wonder what the game's like. And so I downloaded the game. The game's okay, too. But really, the soundtrack is, is killer. So here's the, the opening track called Dark Flute from Sword Ooh, and Sorcery. Just a regular mm. flute. And just so Dark you know, flute. the sorcery part... Of the title Dark is also powers. spelled like sword. S W sorcery. Yeah. Sorcery. Yeah, it's it's that cool. <laughs> Here we go. Dark flute. enough for you jason it feels like he was trying to make a video game version of a morricone song like it's that <laughs> that kind of same progression it kind of is yeah yeah and oh how they dance and uh, just one more quick taste this is oh, and in answer to your question yes it's nerdy enough for me good uh here's another track this is called doom sock <laughs> that's a good name is sock spelled with a W? Uh, no. Swock? No. <laughs> okay. Just checking. <laughs>
Jim Guthrie, Sword and Sorcery. Check it out. Check out the game, too. It's a fun game. And it's, it incorporates musical elements in, in the game. Like, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's one yeah. of those kind of retro 8-bit style of uh, looking games. Brandon's bringing the curveball with I don't the, wanna, the game score. So, yeah. Not that I want to drag out video game soundtracks, but... What? How? What do you mean when you say it incorporates music into the game? Like, like it's part of the part. Part of what you do as the character is music stuff. Ah. So like you perform like you go, music you as go into a character. A room and it pulls up a prompt that says "Do music," and then yeah. you have to do music. And you have to have a, <laughs> a pad on the floor, and you have to like move your feet to the. No, you don't do that. <laughs> How do you do there, music? It's all just on, on the iPad, but I, my memory is that there's parts of it where you're like... Kind of like the Simon Says game, where you're like... I don't remember. <laughs> like right. like the, war games, like you, Matthew Broderick uh, in war games. Yeah. Or no, uh, Close Encounters. That's Close what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss and Close Encounters. Scratch, scratch the question. Sorry. <laughs> Withdrawn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was good stuff. All right, Steve, let's hear your number two. Well, uh, this probably should be number one, of course, since it's attached to the best film ever made. But Babette's Feast, of course. Oh. <laughs> so soundtrack <laughs> to okay. Babette's Feast. These right. two have a Babette's Feast inside joke going that goes back and There's forth. No joke, Jordan. It's hilarious. No, I, I love Babette's Feast, but yeah, but it they have a, it isn't a joke. Please don't joke about Babette's Feast. <laughs> yeah. It is the best movie ever made. Yeah. Uh and it's got a great soundtrack by Danish composer Per Norgard. So his name is P E R N O R G A R D, but with those cool little accents that you wonder. Uh but uh if you Brandon, you should be able to at least I you know, uh, the music service I tend to use is Spotify, but I don't use something else. If you search up the album uh World's World, I'm not sure why. W H I R L apostrophe S World. It's looks like it's a new release that includes a bunch of tracks. World's World? Yeah, that's the name of the album, but you could also of course yeah, there it is on the left. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. But by but, by Ensemble Mitvest. Yes, the Mitvest of the country. <laughs> uh the so there we go. One of the hold on. Hey, Pierre hold Nargard. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the Pierre is his name Pierre uh Nardog? Is that his name? <laughs> uh <laughs> Zing, you got me. <laughs> uh, classic Nardog. <laughs> classic Nardog scoring film. Okay, what am I playing here? Um, so, you know, this suite, I think, com- in some cases, combines some of the different little cues. Why don't you play just number one, which is a, it combines the cues, the dunes, and then Rider on the Hill.
Is this really from Babette's Feast, Steve? This is totally from Babette's Feast. That's awesome. This is totally from Babette's Feast. Let me... It sounds more like The Shining. It's completely... I don't, I don't remember Babette's Feast being scary. <laughs> it's not scary. Yeah. But it's subtle and it's sparse. And so you, you don't get wall-to-wall music in Babette's Feast, but you get these yeah. little moments, you know? And... Yeah, this absolutely. You got to go back and watch it and pay pay more attention. Pay better attention this time. Yes, too busy watching the food, to, man. Try to pay attention. No, too busy but, watching him slaughter that turtle. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I love chamber music, you know, and I think the, you know for the same reasons we were talking about Ennio Morricone and what we what what you know you guys loved about him or what I love about him. I think I find in this soundtrack and uh, that it's, it's, you know, music for piano and strings, but it's, you know, him creatively using these instruments. It's very spare in the way that the film is. Yes, exactly. It it really, their their whole life is about having this stripped down existence, like on the Northern coast of Denmark or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you want to just play, I don't know, play, I don't know what, play track six, uh, Departure. I will. And just give a little taste. No, I mean, not the whole thing, but yeah. just, you know, give a little taste. That's good enough. I mean, you know, it's nice. Yeah, it's 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 rich. Like the the harmonies, there's the dissonance in the harmonies. It's really, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, this is a composer that's well known as a concert music composer. You know, writing mm-hmm. symphonies, writing concertos, that sort of thing. Uh, it's a it's a bold choice for a, a film like that. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm glad they did. I mean, I, it's not one that the soundtrack has never stood out to me in the way it, it has to you. I've I've seen the film a lot, but um, I guess I hadn't paid attention to the music that much. But like thinking about what the story of the film actually is, you could see it easily turning into a Hallmark movie. Mm-hmm. Like if if it was in the hands of the wrong director. Right. And they chose like the typical kind of music that you'd put with that. And that was not Hallmark movie no. music. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. yeah. So they, they made some yeah, some Makes wise, me wise watch decisions. It. I like the movie a lot. I love I love the movie. I want to watch it again. That's another early entry to international cinema, Babette's Feast. Pick number two for Jason. Uh all right, we're gonna go we're gonna jump up to the two thousands, two thousand ten, the social network. Mm. Yeah. Um, ah. uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, this one commonly gets mentioned like on lists of best movies of the 2000s. I think part of what makes it so effective is the soundtrack. Um, I was not... I liked Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I liked Trent Reznor. I never had like huge love for them, but this soundtrack... Um, 
it kind of, I guess, opened my mind up to really how, how gifted he is. It's, it's fairly ambient feeling. It has like, I'll have you play the, the first song from the soundtrack, the, the hand, hand covers bruise that almost has like a, an Eno-esque feel to it. Um, but somehow this soundtrack just complements the movie really effectively. It, it seems like it's a lot of kind of a painting in tones, I guess. And, uh, just seems to work. Play a little bit of the first one hand covers bruise and then play a little bit of the second one in motion. melody in there might be the most major key thing that Trent Reznor's ever done. I know. It's interesting. I wonder if that was hard for him. Could have been. <laughs> probably. That was nice. I liked that a lot. I had forgotten about this soundtrack. It's really good. I like, it and, I, and I, it takes you right back into the movie. It it works so good it, because it's such a slow build. It, it just it's almost like uh, in, in my mind, like when I hear that theme it's it's all it is like the theme of the birth of something and mm-hmm. you know that's obviously kind of what's happening in the movie mm-hmm. and um it just it adds to it. i don't think the movie would be nearly as good without without that soundtrack and our world wouldn't be as good without facebook i mean <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> oh there definitely needs, there definitely needs to be a sequel there definitely uh. needs to be a sequel where we explore <laughs> What uh, really what Zuckerberg did to the world? Oh boy! <laughs> I I think the sequel is him still just clicking the refresh <laughs> on the on his webpage. <laughs> um, you can play just a little bit, like not a ton, just a little bit for In Motion. This one actually sounds more like a, a Nine Inch Nails song, but it's it's very cool, kind of disjointed piece that that just fits really nicely in the movie as well. What's it called? Uh, In Motion. In motion. Okay.
so you think about like the birth of a tech company that's going to change the world for better or for worse um like all of this stuff is just it's very perfect for the era this is taking place in and what what was going on he gresner's really gifted um if you do this if you listen to this like in conjunction with what he did for mid 90s um they're very complimentary and you can you can really get a sense for his style but it it works really really good in movies i i remember being blown away mm. when this came out because i i knew beforehand that he had done the soundtrack and i was really intrigued by that i'm like what kind of soundtrack is trent reznor gonna right. do i didn't know who atticus ross was at the time but yeah i was really impressed with this and he's he's gone on to i mean he's still doing nine inch nails but mm-hmm. this is like a whole nother career for him he's has he done all the David Fincher films since then? I think. I think so. But no. yeah, he's. It turns out he's really, really, he's really good, good at the movie thing. Which it, which is a kind of uh, an interesting kind of second career for a lot of pop rock. Yeah, there have been rock stars. A handful of them that Danny have been Elfman. able to. Yeah, I think Nine Inch Nails was probably Bob. more popular than Oingo Boingo was. But, yeah. But definitely, Whoa, I don't know about that. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. But there's something words. there. It's Trent Reznor, Mark Mothersbaugh. Tr- uh, yeah, we got Cliff Martinez now, the the drummer from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Did did Drive? What? He did Drive. He was in Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, but Chad I didn't Smith know was the drummer well, for Red Hot okay, Chili Peppers. Okay, who was Peppers? Cliff Martinez in Red Hot? He was something with them. Maybe he was a part time. I don't know. But yeah, he was. <laughs> he's from. He's a. He's a. He band Cliff Martinez member. looks just like Will Ferrell. I swear he's <laughs> from part time. Oh yeah, that's right, Chad Smith. Part time snack no, getter Smith, for Red Hot Chili Peppers, but Cliff Martinez, I think he was anyway. in Red Hot Chili Peppers. Look, but yeah, the Johnny Greenwood. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There's, there's tons. There's tons. It's a. It's probably a. I think Jordan just named all the rest of our picks. So there we go. Pro- right, to go thanks home. for tuning in. I got to do that <laughs> once every few episodes. I've got to spoil all of Brandon's stuff. I've got to. Please don't say not. Johnny Greenwood. Oh, crap. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> Probably just becoming a rock star is the best pathway into becoming a successful film composer. It's a lot easier, I think, than yeah. like st- studying we, composition well, and think, trying to move to LA and break right. into the scene. It's but like we, just become a rock star. We've and also then, explored. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe maybe not as easy. Maybe not as easy. We've talked a little bit about it in the past. Like, there's that track for like, um, I you know some rock stars want to be entertainers and some rock stars get to the point where they want to be a credible artist. And I maybe like doing something like this allows them to re- to explore kind of the artistry side a little bit more than trying to having to stay in the lane of like rock star that they were already in or whatever. Right. Well, sure. I mean, I think any, well, and any creative person, I think they naturally want to, improve and expand and sure. and keep exploring yeah. right and so i i don't think and also they they maybe think you know yeah i i want to i don't just want to write songs or i don't just want to tour or perform all the time why not expand and ex- yeah. into these other areas if I, if they can and for some it just completely takes over you know and they just do go in that new direction all right i'm ready for my number two Okay. And I'm going, this is, I don't know, maybe you guys you see this coming. Mark, maybe Mark you Brothers Bob. Nope. Oh, nope. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you guys will see this one coming, but this is a, a soundtrack that's always stuck with me. I'm a big fan of American films from the 1970s. There was kind of a a wave. It was like the, the counterculture creative types became the directors 
and a lot and the power went a little bit away from the producers and the studios and more towards the directors and writers in the 70s for american films um and this is a film not you know actually not an american director a polish director roman polanski but making films in america at the time he'd come over um it's chinatown starring jack uh nicholson sorry that's the golfer Jack Nicholas and uh, no, you said it right the <laughs> first time. Right? Okay, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it's late. It. It's starting to get late. Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, famous director Jack John Nicholas. Houston as Noah Cross, also known as the Golden Bear, the great neo noir so. film Chinatown. A little thing here is uh, noir. The trumpet. Notice the trumpet in the in the opening scene or the opening theme, and something I read preparing for this too was Miles Davis did a score in the fifties. For a film, and he and he elevator was, to the gallows. Yes, and he. Uh, uh, sorry if I just spoiled another hey. one of your picks, but anyway, the point is there. There was. I've only got one pick left. You can't spoil more than one. <laughs> more than once. <laughs> well, if you're shifting, you're like I spoiled it. But, yeah, that's but what the I uh, Crap. the trumpet the trumpet in that um, you know according to one writer that I was reading was he was saying uh, Miles Davis's score kind of paved the way for this kind of melancholy trumpet trope in noir music so chinatown has that the story behind this is jerry goldsmith's score he composed and recorded this film score in 10 days after producer robert evans who's a famous kind of notorious producer rejected philip lambro's original effort at the last minute this well, was duh. philip this was, lambro doesn't know a he doesn't know quarter note from a whole note <laughs> so this this score was nominated for an academy award <laughs> And Sorry, it ranks ninth on the uh, American Film Institute's list of the top 25 American film scores. Chinatown. Which, which track? First track. Love Theme. Love Theme. If, if a track is named Love Theme. You got to play it. Yeah, it's the one. Who's ever in love, though, in Chinatown? That's a... sounds like a really romantic movie <laughs> jake and evelyn are I'm, in love at one point who's that jake you've never seen chinatown i have i don't know jake any Gittis, his, he's uh he's the de- detective jack okay. nicholas's character okay <laughs> jack the he's golfer the, go- yeah. the golden bear he's the golden yeah. bear yeah jack nicholson's character and faye dunaway have you know they have a they have something going on they bit. they have a harvey weinstein type Quite. Well, the kind of relationship that he likes in, to have in movies. I met you. Let's hook up. Oh. 
Maybe. <laughs> there is no Brandon, substance to our relationship. Brandon's a little cantankerous <laughs> yeah, tonight. He is. He's, he's, he's getting in everyone's grill. Brandon, Brandon is Jeez. blowing up. So what did you think? What did you think about this? What did you think about the song? It's a good song. The phone okay. lines are just it's, just lighting up here. We seems, better take take some yeah. calls. <laughs> no, just kidding. So I like the score a lot because of the. There is a yeah. It's it's set in it's set in the in the past. I don't know when is it set in the forties. I think maybe maybe thirties. I think it's set back, but it's made in the seventies. So you when you watch it, you have this feel of it's a period piece. But you're you know for me, I'm watching a seventies film in the when I saw it. I think it was probably two thousand and two or something. So I'm watching a film about the forties or whatever made in the seventies. But by a very good filmmaker who has his own Weinstein-esque problems, certainly. Certainly, yeah, he had to flee the country. Uh, but great actors. John, one of the greatest antagonist characters that I've seen, John Huston as Noah Cross. Creepy. I mean, it's a creepy film. It definitely. I like. Has some, I like. I'm with you, George. I like the movie. It's got some. It's well, got some it's, weird yeah, sexual stuff going on. Not between the two main characters. I mean. Yeah, they don't get married in, in, in a traditional Mormon temple or anything like that. You know. <laughs> or even have a conversation. <laughs> well, they, no, they do. They do. They do. I mean, she's Brandon, you're coming at it. I know, it's because you hate it, good movies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go there. If they don't get married in a Mormon temple, it's not good. Yeah. Is this akin to uh, Jason's... Despising, you know, anything that's popular. So Brandon just hates anything that's good. Is that it? Well, no, or anything. Well, Brandon Wait, this I generalize too like, much. Brandon doesn't like much? gritty seventies. He doesn't movies. like seventies. Oh, he doesn't yeah. like American films that aren't positive. Not true. Okay, but you have you have an axe to grind a, yeah. about indie or dark films. Well, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Not always. You like some of them. I like this film a lot. I think it's and and the. What you know, the score does a lot for the in in for me the best scores they bring some kind of something that's not already there, some kind of ambiance or something. They add textures, they add richness. This one did that for me. Um, yeah, let's I hear, love that. Let's, let's, I love that tune. opening sound. Yeah, the, the, that the mood str- it the, sets, and that, there's harp in there, so I couldn't quite tell if it's just the harp strumming right. and letting it ring, or if it's actually it's almost strings. sounds like piano strings. Yeah. You know, getting inside the piano, but. I'm impressed that it was a 10-day thing that this yeah. guy wrote it like yeah. that. I was going to say, so he worked really slow, tight. but obviously effectively. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 10 days slow? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. So, uh, we, well, we don't need to hear another one. We, we did a lot of discussion that, that on this sarcasm, one. But I was going to say, ja- ja- uh, Jack and Evelyn, it, it's, that one I think is similar, or Jake and Evelyn. But, um, yeah, let's move on to your, your number one, Brandon. My number one? Yeah, let's hear your number one. Okay. Well, thankfully this time, Jordan, you did not spoil my number one. I didn't think I did. It has remained a secret until this moment. Uh, I'm going with my favorite film composer of all time, Joe Hisaishi, uh, who I don't know if he's done anything anything, uh, for Hollywood, but he's done all kinds of Japanese films. Uh, yeah, mainly he's known for doing all the soundtracks for Hayao Miyazaki films. Uh, I think that might have been w- when he started. I think Naushka was his first first film he scored. Uh, and he's done all of them since then. Not every Studio Ghibli movie, but 
but all of Miyazaki's. Um, and he doesn't just do the anime. He does live action. He's done, like, like Morricone, he's done uh, hundreds, hundreds of soundtracks. Uh, I know he, do, he works for Takeshi Kitano. He's done all his soundtracks, which are more like gritty Japanese Yakuza type stuff. Um, but I know him most from, from his work with Miyazaki, and I love all the soundtracks. Uh, he's, uh, he's up there with, with John Williams for me as far as being able to write, write songs that stand out, that are, are memorable. Um, you know, you, th- you think of John Williams with, with E.T. and Superman Raiders and all these things. You, you hear it and instantly you remember it. And, and he, he says she's is like that for me, <clears throat> uh, able to create a, a different, uh, just a whole different world with, with each soundtrack that he does. I would say the one that I listen to the most is uh, Porco Rosso. Uh, kind of mid-career for for both of these guys. This one's about a pig that flies, maybe, that flies an airplane. Yeah, maybe he used to be human. There's uh, some some references to a, a former life. Yeah, he flies an airplane. It's supposed to be like Mediterranean, Adriatic Sea, somewhere like 1930s, something. It never spells it out, but everyone else is human, and, and there's just this crimson pig. This pig-faced that, thing. That he's, he's somewhat of a bounty hunter, I guess, uh, slash vigilante justice guy. Anyway, fascinating film, and love the soundtrack. Um, so I'm going to play two of them. You'll, you'll hear kind of the main theme of the film. There's lots of other themes going on, but you'll, you'll hear it in this, in this clip, and then I want to play another version of it after, so... This is from Porco Rosso. This track is called Porco e Bella. Kind of the uh, the lush orchestral arrangements. Should we pause while the dogs bark? Okay, so yeah, it's got the the full orchestral arrangement on that, and then later, I think the this next song comes in like when they're in the in like this kind of speakeasy bar kind of place, and I just love the the way that he twists around the the theme there. This is the bygone days.
for sure on this specific recording, but most likely it's him playing this himself on the piano because he's a dynamite pianist. He'll he'll play live in their, their concerts. Uh, so these are obviously have a more nostalgic kind of feel, like period piece, but he he can do intense fight scene stuff just as well. And he's got it all. Joe Hisaishi. He was on my honorable honorable mention. Great yeah. great stuff. I love Totoro, Spirited Away. Many of those soundtracks. Kiki. Kiki's great. Uh, I I actually haven't seen this movie, Porco Rosso. I, I need to. Yeah. 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 It's maybe the only one I haven't of his, or the only big one. I do feel like when Porco hooks up with Bella and they cut straight to the bedroom when he just barely <laughs> met her. <laughs> then it wouldn't pass the wine scene test. You're like, ah, I don't know if I can watch this I, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Speak it, speaking of which, uh, Miramax, Weinstein's company, distributed. Uh, Princess Mononoke, which was the first uh, Miyazaki film to get like a theatrical That's right. theatrical release in the states, and along with the uh, the film, Miyazaki shipped a samurai sword, saying, "Don't cut anything." <laughs> this is true. Wow! Because wow. Weinstein wanted to cut stuff. Wanted to cut the relationship short. <laughs> too bad, too bad uh, he didn't cut something else. Oh, jeez. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Whoa. Moving it's not, on. It's not even 2 a.m. yet. It's what the heck? Okay. Is it my turn? It's your turn. It's my turn. We're going to have to drag this thing out. Um, well, my number one pick, I don't know, is, uh, well, I do know. This has been a strange uh, process for me, gentlemen. Like I said, I feel like I uh, there's so many that you know I've looked over, and there's lots I'm missing. And so I I just want to <laughs> this one goes out to all the film composers out there that were just really counting on my pick of their their work to like make their day or their whole career. Maybe <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> John Williams, I'm sorry. You know, uh, he needed your endorsement. I'm just going to list a few people here now to apologize to. No, I'm just kidding. So my number one pick is Forbidden Planet, 1956. Wow. Do you guys know this? Is this, yeah. the, this? the big robot? Yeah. Thing. Yes, yeah. and it's 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 a really you know groundbreaking electronic uh, That's cool. film score, the very first electronic, purely electronic film score. Uh, so composed by Lewis and B.B. Barron, a uh, husband and wife team. And they, you know, they have a very fleshed out Wikipedia page and lots of other information floating around about them because they're really important electronic music pioneers. They lived in New York, Greenwich Village, set up their own studio in 1949, I think it is. Uh, and... That's about the same time places like, you know, in Paris at the radio television station, they're setting up this really important uh, electronic music type uh, center. In Germany, in Cologne, they set up a really important center in 1951. So they're they're right on the cutting edge of this new technology, uh, magnetic tape, and then also, uh, you know, oscillators, synthesizers, other using electronic circuits to make sounds and actually treat that as music and that sort of thing. And so, um, and basically from what I can tell, uh, 
Lewis makes the circuits and constructs the instruments themselves, and then Beebe is actually the composer. She trained as a as a pianist and was a musician and studied composition as well. So she takes all the material that they generate and record and then is the one who actually, you know, puts it in particular order and makes the choices about what's, what's the music they're going to come in. And one thing that's pretty interesting is they're really inspired by this mathematician who wrote a book in 1948 about cybernetics that sort of postulates connections between like, uh, you know, machines and uh, low low level uh, biological life or whatever, and and sim- basically the idea of machines replicating similar activities and behaviors that hmm. actual life does, organisms do. And so he tried to build these these electronic circuits. This is a quote from the soundtrack or, or uh, album or whatever from them about their approach to electronic music. He said, which function electronically in a manner remarkably similar to the way lower life forms function psychologically. So... I think one thing that's interesting, the way, the way this fits, I'm almost done... <laughs> Then let's. I just want to hear the main soundtrack, you know, theme. Uh, well, the main theme. Forbidden track. Planet, main title. Main title. That's the one. Yeah, I got, which I got it queued up. Okay, okay. But uh, if there's a thread or connection to other things we've talked about, I would say that um, I love that what they're doing, even even though they might still have this notion of of light motive or theme that's specific certain sounds or ideas connected to certain characters and certain moods and everything. I think it's more about creating a mood or it's interesting that the music is actually behaving in a certain way that's similar to characters or things we're seeing on the screen. And so there's a more abstract connection between what's on the screen and the music, which I think leaves more space and more room for the imagination to sort of participate. And anyway, this was a really groundbreaking score, really interesting to read about because they also, they weren't members of the particular guild in Hollywood. So even though this was like a really groundbreaking and well-respected and acknowledged score, uh, they weren't listed as the composers of, of the soundtrack or it wasn't even cut. It was, it was described as uh, something other than music. It was like uh, electronic tonality or something something like that that they came up with this other phrase to describe the music which wasn't soundtrack so that they weren't even eligible to get nominated for any awards or anything and part of that i think okay i'm almost done part of that was i think that that initial concern which still persists in lots of ways that machines were going to replace the humans right that Mm -hmm. humans are supposed to make the soundtrack right they're the musicians playing the violin and whatever else in the studio if if the machines could do it now that's going to put everyone out of work and so the unions are like we don't we don't want that so anyway kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. twist on it but yeah forbidden planet Main title by what's their names again? Uh, Lewis and BB Baron. Was that the MGM? Yeah, logo that was part? the MGM <laughs> line. Yeah.
I bet this would have been so mind-bending to see this. Yeah. And hear this. Anyway, just tra- track after track. It's like it's just very, very abstract, cool. you know. Synth music. Just, uh, so this and this all. Just predates- out of curiosity, yeah, I want to play one more of these. Yeah. How about a Shangri La in the desert? Go for it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't handpick any other tracks, but go ahead. I just want to hear if they all sound. So he had to physically build the circuits for all these? Yeah, he built his own hardware. So this is, you know, uh, again, I was just kind of checking all these different dates to see how it matched up. And you've got, um, you know, the, you know, the Moog and the Buchlet synthesizers, which really were the first ones to become commercially available or more widely available. Those were uh, early 60s. Um and so before that, you just had people sort of repurposing this other these oscillators and other things that were made for you know testing radio equipment and other stuff. And so it's or, not even connected to a keyboard at this point. It's patch cords and right. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm and I'm not I'm not super. Yeah, I don't know all the. Well, I don't know very much actually about the actual hardware of of exactly how they you know change frequencies or use different oscillators and but my guess is yeah they, it was yeah it wasn't wasn't keyboard based and it's it was, great road trip music yeah <laughs> absolutely crank this up when totally. you got the kids heading totally. uh, heading to California get a couple get a couple uh, <laughs> five <laughs> five hour energies in your belly and, we can uh, either listen to the Almond Brothers or we're gonna listen to Paul Simon Graceland or. <laughs> It sets your toe to tapping. That's really amazing to imagine the kind of context from which that came out of and imagine people going to see that in the theaters and hearing that. Those sounds, hearing those sounds, which would have been new, totally new. It is is interesting to think about. Like we take for granted, like how, when was the last time you heard a sound that you probably never had heard before? Or that you think is kind of unimagined, that you couldn't have imagined almost. But that, like, they would have experienced that. That's yeah. kind of nuts. Well, and this is, so this is kind of the first one, too, where I think it, you know, synth sounds, even now they're very, you know, they're they're old, uh, relatively speaking, or whatever, but they kind of are associated with technology and other things like space and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I think still... Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of made me think that the the Chariots of Fire soundtrack is still kind of strange. I mean, yeah. versus versus Blade Runner, you know. I mean, it's like okay, yeah, right. Vangelis, Blade Runner makes sense, you know. But but Chariots of Fire, that's it so is. weird. It's and yet that really owes a debt to this this soundtrack. You know, every everything yeah. that comes after. Anyway. Wow, good pick. Thanks for doing all that research. That was interesting to hear. Wow. Okay, Jason, let's hear it. Uh, so my number one pick is Titanic. <laughs> that's a good one. 
Okay. Brandon's ready with. with I'm gonna get. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna trying to because I trying what, to preempt what's he gonna, his original soundtrack by Hoobastank. Hoobastank. <laughs> I had yeah. I had totally forgotten about the prank uh, until you said it just uh-huh. now. I'm sorry. Okay. So, uh, all right, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna throw a little love to Terrence Blanchard. You guys know who he is? Yeah. Yep. Spike Lee's longtime collaborator. Um, he's done most of his movies, and um, probably no surprise for people that have listened to me. I, I'm a sucker for Spike Lee films. Um, he's interesting to me. A lot of people have an idea of what his movies are going to be, and I think they envision something more like a John Singleton movie, like a Boys in the Hood. And Spike Lee tends to almost like overfill his movies with contrast, and he. You know, he'll bring in like modern complexity, bring in the past. And he likes um, he likes these kind of old traditional like big movie feels to his scores sometimes. So Terrence Blanchard wasn't originally looking to be get into creating movie scores. He's a jazz trumpet player. He wanted to be basically be Miles Davis. And he had met Spike Lee somewhere and Lee asked him if he could score a movie at one point and Blanchard basically lied and said, yeah, I could totally do that. Mm-hmm. And then had to scramble and start doing it. And similar to what we talked about, like with Reznor, he's this musician that turned out he, he kind of had a knack for it. And if you have watched a Spike Lee movie, when you listen to, if you're not familiar with Terrence Blanchard, as soon as you hear some of these songs, you'll instantly recognize like, okay, that's, that's the feel of a Spike Lee movie. Um, I think he finally won an Oscar. Didn't he win one for Black Klansman? I think. Could be wrong. but um, Yeah, it says first nomination Yeah, for Black Klansman. So he didn't, it didn't say he win, won the award, but that was the Spike, first time he was nominated. Spike Lee finally won one for that. That's right. I thought, did Blanchard not win it? For, or did the music not win it in Black Klansman? It just Klansman? said that he received his first nomination. Okay. Anyway, the the movie that I picked, it's like an all-time favorite of mine. It's Do the Right Thing, um, which has a really kind of an equally interesting soundtrack. There's that famous Public Enemy song, Fight the Power, is like an integral piece. But the score itself, so if you look it up, look for the Do the Right Thing score. I think it's credited to the Natural Spiritual Orchestra, who Blanchard actually plays as part of. It's a big collective of jazz musicians. Blanchard plays the trumpet. Um, I think Branford Marsalis plays the sax for him. Um, I'm going to have you play just a couple snippets from a couple interesting songs. Play the first one, Mookie Goes Home. So you can kill that one. I don't think Spike Lee's nearly as interesting without Blanchard. That like that feels like a musical from the fifties, and it's being mm-hmm. played as background music to this complex story of racial strife in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties, and it creates like 
such a classic Spike Lee contrast. And that's consistent through all his movies. Like if you saw Black Klansman, you see, I think Black Klansman was the first Spike Lee movie my wife had watched. And she was almost confused early on at like this, this orchestra background to what was happening with the music. Mm. But then after it sets in, it just, it creates this absolute Spike Lee feel. Like I think, I don't think you can separate Blanchard from what Spike Lee's done. Play just a little bit from We Love Roll Call You All, y'all, and then I'll have you finish up with um, Wake Up Finale. This guy right here got it in. He got it in. Freaking unbelievable. Is this Titanic? I don't know. <laughs> or Enya? Last time I said this bastard right here. So I'm going to quote myself again. <laughs> this is so stupid. Why do I fall for it every time? <laughs> Uh, oh boy which one am i really playing you're playing we love roll call (laughs) y'all okay all right oh track number two i could have just uh Mm -hmm. yeah you could have yeah You can kill I'm, that. I'm going to have to watch uh, Do the Right Thing again. I, I only associated it with the, the rap soundtrack. It's, and I think a lot of people do that, and it, it really, it's consistent. I, I don't, I think they've made at least like six or seven movies together, maybe more. And it, I really don't think Spike Lee's nearly as interesting without Blanchard providing that contrast because mm-hmm. it makes such a, a different richness to the, to the whole experience. Play, mm-hmm. So he, Spike Lee famously tries to cram way too many ideas into every movie. <laughs> like, and do the right things no different. There's two endings. It doesn't make sense that there's two endings, but there is. And that's like life with Spike Lee. I like it. Some people are put off by it. So there's two like concluding songs. There's Malcolm and Martin, and then there's the wake up finale. Um, I'll just have you finish out with Wake Up Finale, just kind of a cool reflection. But everything kind of has that jazz feel. Um, So you can kill it. The the one of the cool th- like they're complex movies. It's called Do the Right Thing. I don't think one character in the entire movie actually does the right thing. It's it 
Lee always highlights that the complexity of human nature and builds in these these um, conflicts. And I love that finale. Like I can picture the scene in my mind. It closes out, and I remember the first time I saw it, just seeing there, like trying to wrap my mind around who was right, who did the right thing, and you just have this nice jazz ending as it as it rolls out. And it's it's Blanchard's really good. He's really really good. Cool. We were just watching Malcolm X recently, and I was noticing like how much I liked the score as yeah. we were watching it, and maybe we want to dive back into. I think my favorite of his movies is actually Cricklin. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, good um, it looks like he. It looks like he. Like you said, he got a nomination for best original score for Black Klansman, and then he he kind of shares in the award because it, it got best adapted screenplay. That's right, but. Which I don't know if everybody just kind of says, "Yeah, we got Which one." I think, I think, <laughs> or if that just goes to Spike. Or well, and I think people f- felt like it was a little bit of a makeup call as well. I think people thought he yeah. should have won one for Malcolm X, should yeah. have won one for Do the Right Thing, um, and right. I don't even think he had been nominated. I think it wasn't. Yeah, that sounds right. All right, good pick. I've, so I'll bring it home with our last of the of our top threes, and the one I'm choosing. This is hard. I've got a lot of good honorable mentions. But mine is a new composer. He's in fact he's younger than all of us sitting here. I I, I can say that because I know. So he's like so he's like thirty like forty. He was born in nineteen eighty. <laughs> he was born in nineteen eighty. So whoa. So even younger than and my he's sisters. been nominated for two Academy Awards for best original score already. Okay. So his name is Nicholas Bretel. He scored. Um, Sounds like a chump. Yeah. <laughs> Young upstart, total jerk. He's obviously, gonna... I don't know what. Why? Why you gotta sabotage my picks, man? What's going on here? Yeah, he hasn't played no mistake for your. I know, but at least he lets you talk for like a minute. Okay, Brandon, you got whatever whatever meth you took before this show. You gotta get the good stuff next time because this stuff is. I watched Babette's Feast before you guys came over. Okay. And... He got so, amped. He I'm got choosing amped. Nicholas Bretel. He did. He did Moonlight. This is the movie I'm choosing. Ah, the, nice. the score. Moonlight. Um, then two years later, same director Barry Jenkins. He he scored um, If Beale Street Could Talk, which yeah. both of those score I could have chosen either one of them. They're both amazing, but I chose Moonlight. I had the experience of watching this movie. I was up at the uh, Broadway theaters watching it with with my wife and some friends and we're, we're sitting there watching it. And I just remember sitting there and thinking this is like, this music is so moving to me. It was so amazing. The movie was great as well. And the cinematography and the story, all this stuff, but the music was so beautiful and, and had some contrast stuff going on. Um, so he's also done work with, uh, what's his, the guy like Adam McKay who did vice and the big short, he scored his films he scored The Succession, the TV series, which I've never seen. But I was just reading on some of this stuff today and reading some interviews with him. Um, got his start. He was actually in a, he was a uh, pianist, and his start actually became watching Chariots of Fire is what made him want to take music lessons when he was a kid. Started playing when he piano. was one year old. Well, Chariots. when he first watched The Chariots but, of Fire and remembered it, that's what he, why he wanted to play music. And then he, uh, he, he he goes to music school, and then he's got a friend there that's doing film stuff, 
and his friend says, "Hey, will you score my movie?" He fi- and then the movie never gets made, but he they worked on it together for three years. He loved working on that so much that he started seeking out like uh, film students to score their movies. You know, twenty years later, now he's he's an up and comer. He's doing a lot of great stuff. So um, Moonlight, this one is interesting too because you know the chop and screw thing, the Houston sound in hip hop, where they slow things down and they and it's like the voice gets lower and all this stuff. Um, Barry Jenkins was a big fan of that kind of hip hop music. And so when they were talking about the score, they wanted, they were talking about how to kind of fit that in. And they decided to actually use some of his compositions and play them, like repeat them in the film, but chopped and screwed, slowed down. Waited. So, so we'll listen to one that's like that. Um, but the first one I want you to play is just the, it's called Little's theme. It's the first one on there. So that's one of the themes. This is the this one has a classic uh, kind of. There's three different characters, three different actors that play this one character as he's growing up. So they have different themes for each one. If you go to uh, Chiron's theme, chopped and screwed. Okay. Actually, maybe we should first hear Chiron's theme uh-huh. and then hear it chopped and screwed because then you'll hear the difference okay. between the two. And you'll hear the similar, of course. almost exactly the same let's hear the the chopped and, and screwed version of it so Chiron is the teenage version of the character
this is Moonlight, right? This is Moonlight, yeah. yeah. So, and this, this of course, famously also the movie won the Academy Award. And it was the the debacle where La La Land got, got <laughs> like not like announced and they're up there. And then who was the guy? Who was it up there? Who messed up? It was um, who was reading it? I'm trying to remember. Wasn't it Faye Dunaway and and uh, and Jack Nicholson? No. Yeah. It was Jack uh, Nicholas. <laughs> Jack Nicholas. No, 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 no. It the, was the Bonnie and Clyde guy. Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It oh, was him yeah. for sure. Um, Dick Tracy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Warren, yeah. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Yeah. yeah. Warren Beatty's up there like La La Land. He's like, <laughs> wait, wait, no. <laughs> They're all up there celebrating. But yeah, the the if you've seen, I don't know if you guys have seen If Beale Street Can Talk, mm-hmm. that one as well. I actually didn't like that movie as much as I liked Moonlight. It was it was powerful in many ways. I just didn't. It didn't compel me throughout, uh, but the the music was amazing in both films and the and the cinematography great. Awesome. So that's my my top pick. Let's do let's Should let's do our honorable mentions. Do our honorable mentions. Yeah. Straight, Brandon. Okay, a couple of them Jordan tried to spoil for me, but they were all <laughs> honorable mentions, so I don't care. But uh, oh, Miles Davis, Elevator to the Gallows, had that in there. Um, nice. Had a let's see. It Follows by Disaster Piece. Uh, Angelo Bad- Badalmenti, yeah. Twin Peaks. Amen ah, to that one. Amen okay, to that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I really dig uh, Trevor Jones's work on The Last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. And John Brion for yep. Punch Drunk Love. He's on mine. Jan Tiersen, Amelie. Yes, and... Yeah. Can I can I play a bit of a honorable mention? I don't know that this is really because I don't know anything about the whole soundtrack of this one. This would be like my my one hit wonder for soundtracks, <laughs> and maybe he's got more than this one hit. But this came out of nowhere. Have you guys seen the movie The Taking of Pelham One Two Three? There, there's two of them. So there's a more recent one I think with Denzel Washington in it. But yeah. the first one was in the seventies. Uh, composed by David Shire. I'm just going to play the first part of the main title here for you. This is Dynamite, where you're like, this, a film that nobody's heard of has no business having a song this good. That's, I guarantee that's been sampled. I know that's been sampled that's awesome. somewhere. That's amazing. That's too bad the movie wasn't good enough to. The movie's great. It's is just. It? it was good enough to just kind of under it. the radar. Yeah. I never saw the first one. I saw the second. The yeah, no, it's, it's a great film. That's really cool. But it's you know just Whoa, kind of listen a to this. There. You're just that we're just fading out here. Wow, yeah. those horn lines. Nice. Yeah, I like soundtrack. music that if I listen to it while I'm listening to it, it makes me feel like 10% higher 
on the badass <laughs> ranking, like whatever I, I actually am. So if I'm, if I'm like a zero, then I would feel like 10%. And that's, that's like a song. Like if I was walking around listening to that, yeah. I would feel at least 10% higher on whatever uh-huh. my, my current badass score is. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Yeah, I, I rented the, the film a while ago, and this comes on in the opening credits. So I'm like, what the heck? This is awesome. That was great. Very cool. Yeah. He's uh so David Shire turns out was married to Talia Shire, where she got her last name from. She's uh she? Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Oh, okay. And she's plays an Adrian in, in Rocky. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Adrian. she's also in The Godfather. And then he scored the conversation by Coppola. Right. And nice. then that's kind of about it. Wow. I can never figure out why Rocky was married to such a wet blanket. Like <laughs> she seemed like kind of a downer. <laughs> uh yeah well well because yeah. uh i mean he did kind of date rape her hmm. <laughs> the so weinstein his, weinstein his strikes again <laughs> why'd she stay with him then that's what happened it was the 80s the early 80s, <laughs> 70s, late 70s. yeah all right steve you got your honorables up I was struggling here for a minute, but uh, we... the you know the the one name that came to mind is Alexandre Desplat, mm. mm-hmm. who's done a lot. Shows up everywhere. He's he's a favorite of uh, Wes, Wes Anderson. Anderson and, yeah, but but just looking up his film list, he's he's done the Harry Potter ones, mm-hmm. but also other ones. You know, more more. Some independent films, some really major He did The ones. Tree of Life, which was really oh. good. Oh. I think Whoa. that's Alec? him. I think that's him. Ah. But, I mean, as far as, like, someone who... Say no more. Con- Say no more. ...continues in the vein of of what John Williams does well and kind of that more traditional just orchestration, you know, writing for full orchestra, but coming up with all these interesting colors and... Just writing good music, but that fits the the film well. I mean, he's he's one that's that's out there, doing it. Nice. All right, Jason, what you got? Uh, first one I mention is a really weird movie that Jordan and I have have nerded out about before. We talked about trying to force one of us to pick it as one of our three before. It's this uh, weird 1970s French animated movie called Fantastic Planet. Um, the composer on it is a guy named Alain Goraguer. So it turns out, and and this makes total sense after I learned this, he was the composer, the main composer that worked with Serge Gainsbourg. Mm. And when you listen to the soundtrack, it sounds very Serge Gainsbourg-esque. It's like a lot of wah guitar and like pretty thick bass, um, plucked out but it's a really cool soundtrack like i really like it it's legitimately good (laughs) and it's a super weird movie about big blue aliens that called drags drags ohms no the ohms ohms are the people they're the humans anyway Uh, yeah weird movie but if you like weird animated french movies check it out but the soundtrack's good um and then the one i'm gonna have you play a clip from i think i mentioned it before in a different episode uh there's a early 90s independent uh, Western called Dead Man by um, is a Jim Jarmusch movie, and Neil Young. Neil Young, yeah. yeah Neil Young did the whole soundtrack, mm. and it's Neil Young on old black 
just playing like really moody riffs. There's not a lot of complete songs. Like if you look through the soundtrack, the songs are called like guitar solo one, guitar solo two, guitar solo three, but it's, um, it is very Neil Young esque, but it's, it fits so perfect with the movie. It's filmed all in black and white and it's a lot of, um, almost like it's yeah it's johnny depp Depp, almost like a extended dream sequence um have you seen it jordan yeah it's kind of a cool movie anyway the theme song i'll have you play the first part of find dead man theme song or theme by neil young different from the the guitar solo pieces that come but if you're a neil young fan this is a really interesting chapter in in what dead man theme yeah it's not on the it's not, it's not on the album, okay. so find it find it on YouTube. Okay. sounds like old black it is (laughs) very much so so good yeah and so throughout the movie there'll just be these moments like where it'll just be a neil young 30 second one two three note solo on old black really heavily distorted and it just fits really nice it adds like to the overall tone kind of 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 mystery and darkness to the movie so it's it's a cool i like the soundtrack it's a good movie good soundtrack cool excellent so for my honorable mentions, I had John Brion as well, but for specifically for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Great soundtrack. Love that. Arcade Fire, actually. Another, this is like a pop band, Wynn Butler and uh, the other guy, Owen Patton. What did they do a soundtrack for? They did Her. Oh, really? They did Her, yeah. And it's really good. Huh. It, they haven't released it yet. It's like, you can't find it. You know, you can find it on YouTube, basically. Like, people just... But it's a great, there's a song on there, a song on the beach, which is just, it's just piano. It's just beautiful melody. And there's like one time I found it on YouTube and it was like, someone had posted 10 hours of <laughs> song on the beach by, by Arcade Fire. Um, I had Planet, uh, Fantastic Planet as well, like you did. Um, Il Postino, the film by uh, the, the composers Luis Enriquez Bakalov, Bakalov, Bakalov. He was one who... Uh, uh, what's his Quentin Tarantino actually used his kind of spaghetti western esque type stuff even more than he used Ennio Morricone in Django Unchained, in Kill Bill, in yeah. several. Um, but the movie Il Postino has a great soundtrack. Um, I had Joe Hisiashi on there, Spirit Away, Johnny Greenwood, Han- Hans Zimmer. Um, uh, 
Karen O was great with uh, Where the Wild Things Are. She she did a lot of the songs for that with the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah as her band. So I would like you to play Angelo Badalamente's Twin Peaks theme. Oh, this was it. this was going to be on my 1980s, and then it was going to be on my 90s because it was one of those that kind of straddled. And I left it off, and I've regretted it since because such amazing uh, music, theme music. The first Twin Peaks theme? Let's do Twin Peaks theme. Okay. familiar with every track on the on this soundtrack they, they milk it yeah they milk it because it is, plays in every episode i don't know if any other song we've played maybe some of the ennio marconi stuff but this song and this soundtrack was like instrumental to a whole pivotal for a whole kind of subgenre of music dream pop like you had cocteau twins but really this this from what i from the research i did is this was part of the kind of formation of that whole genre um, but yeah good stuff love this love this whole soundtrack and in the Twin Peaks Return they have, they have guests each time and Trent Reznor was on one of the episodes playing did you watch the return you see yeah. Trent Reznor's performance there yeah did he play the, the bookhouse boys uh no he was just he was doing some kind yeah. of crazy aggressive thing but uh david lynch is pretty twin peaks has a love theme too yeah it's good it's good too you want to play it let's play it let's hear it (laughs) i do remember characters in twin peaks having conversations yes and in bed at times Mm, not as much yeah Is that an alto flute? It's really low, so it's either pitch shifted or, yeah, an alto flute maybe. I don't know. Love, uh, love theme with an owl watching through a window. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Fincher love theme yeah, the, for the sure. One, the one is the, is the Laura Palmer theme is the other one that is really yeah. famous. I think okay. I think one that's un, who's I don't know if I would say underrated because I think people are recognizing he's really good is Johnny Greenwood in terms of going from that rock star kind of rock and roll whatever his his stuff he works with Paul Thomas Anderson who's my favorite yeah. director right now and his I think he's gotten better with each film Phantom Thread the, as I said the the Phantom Thread one was on my honorable mention as well absolutely that was amazing good. yeah okay Great. well thanks for Ooh. letting the music be your master and. We'll see you next time. Go watch some movies.
Hey friends, Jason Johnson here. Uh, just popping in to uh, do the right thing and try to fix a mistake that I made um, that I got tipped off to in the uh, in the recent podcast that we did on. Um, listing our favorite soundtracks. So here's what happened. I got pretty fired up, pretty uh, passionately uh, made my case for the Do the Right Thing soundtrack, and I made kind of a dumb mistake on it. I gave a full scoring credit to Terrence Blanchard, and I said a lot of nice things about him. Turns out uh, Blanchard is not the official um person credited with scoring Do the Right Thing. He was a performer on it. Uh, he was the trumpet player on there, and he helped contribute to some of the songwriting, but officially it was Spike Lee's father, Bill Lee, that was uh, doing the scoring at that time. I think uh, Bill Lee ended up scoring, um, I think, the next movie. He did like the first four or five movies that Spike Lee uh, made, and then uh, eventually... Terrence Blanchard, it was two movies after this, ended up taking over the reins. So Bill Lee did um, Do the Right Thing and then did Mo Better Blues with Branford Marsalis, although uh, Terrence Blanchard was one of the key contributors in writing on that as well. And then the following one, Jungle Fever, is the one where Terrence Blanchard officially took over the reins. I still stand by all the nice things that I said about him and... Um, my pick is still do the right thing, but I wanted to to set that straight. I take a fair amount of pride in what we do. I try to put in the time and do the research. And um, in this case, I was kind of going off the top of my head. And uh, as if you haven't figured out already, sometimes I, I speak quickly without without thinking, and, and this was a case. Uh, so anyway, just wanted to set that straight. It was actually Dr. Steve Ricks that uh, that that tipped me off to that. Um, so anyway, thanks for giving me the uh, the opportunity to, to get that right. Uh, so just a couple pieces here I'll throw out to you. Um, the uh, That soundtrack, Do the Right Thing, is still incredible. Um, the next movie that he did was Mo Better Blues, which is about a... Um, a jazz trumpet player and Terrence Blanchard is the one that basically trained um, Denzel Washington who plays the trumpet player how to play and how to appear like he was an actual trumpet player there's kind of a famous scene um, where Washington's on the Brooklyn Blip Bridge playing a, a song called uh, something Soweto here's the the audio from the scene and this is all Blanchard on the trumpet playing let me see if I can. there we go So that's another song that um, is on that Mo Better Blues soundtrack. Bill Lee gets the credit for that one as well, although Blanchard wrote that song that you just heard. He He's mentioned that that's the first time he ever got to work with strings, and it was a, kind of a natural fit for him. And that becomes really the transition piece where um, it was kind of at that moment where it, he was 
clearly ready to take the reins as official scorer. So uh, next movie was uh, Jungle Fever, which is the first one that Blanchard ended up scoring. And then from that point forward, he and, and Spike Lee were, were kind of inseparable on all of the Spike Lee movies. In fact, Blanchard's on the record as um, communicating that he's usually one of the first people to see a script from uh, Spike Lee whenever he's working on a new project. So just to give you a hint, if uh, if we're going to be honest to the idea of Terrence Blanchard as a a master at scoring movies, his most recent one, Black Klansman, is a great one. Here's a couple of, uh, of... tracks from that the second track hatred's at its best you can still kind of hear that bill lee jazz influence here you go Then if you jump to the next one, it's the main theme. This is probably the most famous one from this that kind of carried through the whole movie. This was the first one that ever got nominated. Blanchard kind of famously brought in an electric leaned on an electric guitar more heavily in that one um and then at the very end let's see uh, blute und boden this one's kind of a great one too Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Uh, like I said, we take a lot of pride in what we do. Want to do it, make sure the record was straight on that. Thanks for letting the music be your master. Uh, moral of the story, I think, in all of this is one: never trust your instincts. Two: um, always listen to Doctor Stephen Ricks. And three: uh, regardless of who you think scored it, do the right thing is still a freaking great movie with a great score that makes it even better. So, anyway, hope you're all well. And we'll, uh, we'll, we look forward to our next installment for you. Now look here. Who twists your spine till it feels like jelly and heats your blood till it's boiling wine? Who splits your heart in a zillion pieces? Chef! Baby, you'll blow your mind. Blind your eyes with a trillion kisses and rocks you deep and turns your tide, cracks your back in a billion pieces. Hmm? Shut. Baby, you'll blow your mind. The man.